Welcome to Conversations for Ali, a podcast sharing the real-life, everyday stories of resilient Australian women from the bush. I'm Ebony Wan. We'll hear how these women have overcome some huge adversities, as well as what tools they use on a daily basis to regain a sense of peace, normality and happiness in their lives again. I've created this podcast in loving memory of my friend, Dr. Alexandra James Hack. This is Conversations for Ali. Today you're going to hear from Paddy Latisse, but first a little backstory. I was born in Moree and grew up on the northwest slopes and plains of New South Wales. My mum's family is from Mungandai on the New South Wales-Queensland border and I've always said that's the centre of my soul. I had to go away for high school and uni and was homesick for the northwest for 13 years. I knew if I became a teacher that I would get a job at Moree or Mungandai. That was the dream. I've always had a real connection to that country. Towards the end of my degree, however, I met my now husband in Narrabri, and that is where I've ended up. I love it here, and I love talking about our western towns with Paddy for this podcast, such as Walgett, Lightning Ridge, and Brewarrina. Ten years ago, I moved back to Narrabri to do my internship at Narrabri Public School under Craig Jollo, and this is where I met Paddy Latisse our AEO, or Aboriginal Education Officer. I took an instant liking to her and have always enjoyed hearing parts of her story. I've taught at nine schools in our district and have learnt that Paddy is an absolute standout in the way that she conducts herself, her inclusive attitude and passion for reigniting her culture with our kids. We share a passion for teaching children and she continues to inspire me to love all children despite their background, home life or what we might perceive to be their limited potential. Paddy is a living example that no matter where you come from or go through, if you set yourself a goal and work hard, you can achieve it. Paddy is a very proud Gamilaroi woman, married to her husband of 34 years, Noel, and a mother to too many children to count. In December of 2016, Paddy and Noel lost their only daughter, Kia, to cancer at age 22. Obviously, that was a devastating loss for their family, and I love seeing how they continue to honour Kia's memory and carry her with them wherever they go. Our own daughter, Bridie, started kindergarten at Narrabri Public School this year. Like many families, we've missed watching her in her first year of school as we'd imagined. To celebrate NAIDOC week this year, Paddy taught all kindergarten children an acknowledgement of country song in language. It was filmed and shared on social media for families to see. I was very overwhelmed by this. Here was our daughter, who doesn't identify as being Aboriginal, but being included in this cultural opportunity, which represented to me that we are moving forward. Paddy makes me more proud to be Australian and also a part of our wonderful Narrabri Shire community. If you're looking for a resilient Australian woman from the bush, look no further than Paddy Latisse. This is Paddy's story. So Paddy, can you start 
pleased with um, sharing with us your welcome to country? I'd love to. Um, you're out of Gubba, Yamgay Naya, Honey Batteridge, Gamilaroi, Dinawan, Wilder Deer, Naya Yalagi Marga, Wingay, Gamilaroi, Yuralarai, Yuralarai, Murray Dolga, Nungu, Walai Baga, Nale, Buddha, Gagiga, and Gabaninda. What I said is g'day. My name is Auntie Patty. I'm a Gamilaroi lady. My totem is a dinner one. I'm from Walbert. I'd like to remember the Gamilaroi, Yuralaroi, Yuralaroi people whose country this meeting is taking place. I pay respect to elders both past and present and extend that to our younger generation today. Gabaninda, thank you. Thank you, Patty. Can you tell us um, what that means to you to be able to say that welcome to country and also say it in language? Um, it's I'm really proud to learn this for our for my area, for my Gamilaroi area. Um, it's something that we were deprived of years ago and learn a language, but now um, I've got another opportunity to move forward and do this. That's so nice. And so is it Gamilaroi language? Yeah, it's Gamilaroi. They, it's Gumaroi, it's Gamilaroi. Yeah. Um, depends who you are and where you are and how you want to pronounce it. Okay. Um, Gumaroi. Yeah. It's Gamilaroi. Um, and what, um, yeah. what is Gamilaroi? I've always, I've not quite understood the difference between Gumilaroi and Gamilaroi. Um, it's actually Gumaroi. The Gumilaroi is spelt with a K because um, for the, it's not actually, the K is not in our Aboriginal alphabet. They've actually put oh. that in for the white people to understand. Oh, that it's actually, fact. yeah, it's oh. a fact. Um, it's actually spelt with a G, G-A-M-I-L-A-A-A-R-Y-I. So, yeah. There you go. I didn't know that. I sort of, I think I thought perhaps there were two different tribes or something or a crossover or something but no no same. it's the same it's yeah. actually the same yeah because uh, the alphabet hasn't got a k but we've put that in for yeah the non-indigenous people there you go can you start um patty with telling us where you were born um yeah for those who don't know me my name is patty latisse um patty's short for patricia as you've heard um i'm actually a not a young aboriginal yinna woman from Walgut. Um, I've been born in Walgut along with my siblings, eight other siblings, um, and moved to Narrow back in the 1990s. Um, I'm, there was a family of eight, five girls, three boys, and two stepsisters. Wow. I lived with mum and dad until they um, separated, but as a young girl, I was there till the age, I stayed with them until 15 before leading into my own life. And where did you rank with your siblings? Which um, number were you? I am the third oldest girl in the family. There was Julianne, Maria, myself, and Sharon. Um, the boys were John, Neville, Vincent, um, and I forgot Diane in our family, the five of us, five yeah. girls, three boys. Um, yeah, and then we had two stepsisters, two stepsisters from another relation that Dad had prior to being with my mum. Okay. Which are both deceased. Yeah. At the moment, so yeah. And um, were you born in Walgett Hospital? I was born in Walgett Hospital. I was the smallest child. I was only six pound. 
Yeah. Um, my mother said, very tiny, um, and I'm still short today. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, what was your upbringing like? Whereabouts in Walgett did you live? And what sort of things did you do in the early years of your childhood? Um, prior to Walgett, I remember moving around as kids because mum and dad had to follow work. Uh, my dad's not Aboriginal. He's actually uh, a white man. Mum's Aboriginal. We lived on many uh, riverbanks, um, missions, hmm. uh, travelled town to town for work. Even, um, even like all just... Yeah, we just moved about, but mm. we end up in Walgett um, at the mission. Before then, we moved into town at once um, on a reserve at the end of Walgett, um, which I grew up as a child before we um, got our first housing commission homes. Mm. Prior to that housing commission homes, we lived in tin shacks mm. with dirt floors. Was that in the mission? On the reserve? Oh, both, yeah, yeah, yeah. We always live in tin shack, even on the missions. Can you tell people, tell us, you know, people who um, might not understand what a mission is, can you explain what that is? A mission is a place where they used to put all Aboriginals together. So, um, the white yeah, people? The white people, the government, put all Aboriginals together. Yeah. Um, in what years? Um, well, I was. Or decades? That's, well, I, well, I was born in 63. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 60, I was born in 64 and we were um, living in, we were, we were moved around, like I said, on mission, mm. but always on the riverbanks, mm. um, but always lived in tin shacks until we got our first Department of Housing home mm. in Walgett after our tin shack had burnt down. Really? Uh, we come from big families. We don't, there's not just us. Mum and Dad and eight kids. There mm. was aunties, there was uncles um, that would all live around close by, and yeah. then um, but we all put together. Yeah. At the were time. they happy memories on the mission? There, there were happy memories, I suppose, because all the kids was happy, healthy, mm. um, until yeah, there was good memories in, in, with the old people in the old ways, mm. but that soon later died out, I mm. guess, when people started to move and the white man thought that it would be an opportunity to not let every all the Aboriginals live together because mm. there was so much conflict. Mm. So they started um, get spreading them around within the community. With houses. With houses, yes. So what did your mum and dad do for work when you said they were moving around working? Um, mum was mum worked as a um, a nurse at one time, but she was also a cleaner. I remember just getting back some of her stolen generation money for working while and not being paid. So mm. until that came in, she just got wow. her, her lump sum back um, for herself and and for grand granny who worked as a slave too or, yeah. or maid. Um, she got her money back as well. So. Was your mum a part of the Stolen Generation? My mum was, I, I'm not sure, I can't, I'm not 100% sure um, if she was part of the Stolen Generation, but because she used to work and been made to work as a young girl, um, she used to work and didn't get paid. Mm. So now they've recouped that money for them working with pay. Mm. 
so I wouldn't, it's not that much, but there's still some condensation. Mm-hmm. And because mum um, is not very good with her numeracy as well, mm-hmm. um, you've got no power to clock because you don't know where no. to go to or how to come about it to fill in forms yeah. without her, you know, knowing how to read and write. So yeah, very hard. It's very hard. Yeah. So, um, what sort of things, like what were your day-to-day lives like on the mission with heaps of kids, I guess, especially if you've got aunties and uncles living all together and then they'd all have kids and did you just all swim in the river and play and cook together and everything? Uh, We all helped out. Uh, One carted water, one swept the dirt floor. We played as kids right up till the streetlights come off because that was our time limit. Back in those days, when the street lights come on, we were all able to be armed. Really? So that was the condition. Otherwise, yeah. Oh, by your parents? By the parents, yeah. yeah. We would be armed at home by then. Otherwise, they used to say the, the ghosts would get you. So yeah. it was a big um, thing back then. Yeah. Us kids could be scared to move along. Imagine doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there was plenty to do. You yeah. know, there's swings, there's cubby houses in the yeah. room. Used to make out of trees. We used to play. My favourite toy was a frog. I used to knock out and dress up in doll's clothes, you know, and use the bro- broken glasses um, out of beer bottles and that for little chairs and oh a bit God. of fibro, you know, to make little tables and that out. But if you knock a frog out, once it comes through, you can always let it go and it'll play for another day, oh, you cool. know. So those, um, otherwise we made um, pegs, put clothes around pegs and drew little eyes on yeah. On those and um, played dolls. And there you that. go. Mm. Very pretty. Or Roly Polies was another one for the boys. We'd get two milk tins. Dad used to make the, fill the milk tins with sand and put a hole either end and put a rope on it to pull. So it was just like a little car wheel going over um, up a road track and yeah. over hills for entertainment for the boys. So. Cool. Yeah, otherwise you'd be crow bobbing, hunting, mm. fishing. Um, there's no electronics back in those days, no. so everyone got to interact with one another. Mm. So. And were you able to go into town and do your shopping and whatever? Or? Uh, we had a mail run that come out too when we were on the missions or, or, or even on properties. The mail run would um, drop our bread and deliveries off oh, yeah. once they're working out on the farms, the yeah. properties. Um, it really fresh bread exciting on a Tuesday. Yeah. Because it was one of the one of the mild days so, and you knew fresh bread was coming so we'd all fill up with bread and jam. But it wasn't um off week we'd um the, the old people, mum and dad and all that rest would cook the um Johnny cakes and dampers and that so just as good. Yeah. As the bakers. They're great memories. Yeah. And did you go to school in Walgett? I went to school, um, growing up as a young girl. Going back to school days before then, mum and dad um, given so many of us. Um, it was very hard for me growing up. I come from such a large family, so there was always ambulance. Mm. Um, as for the school, I did right up, I done one of the year six, went to high school and um, completed year nine. Only year nine because by this time when you're coming from a broken family, mum and dad had split up. Okay. Right, times were tough, so therefore there was a lot of freedom. So anyway, um, um, the kids, the family sort of fell apart once they had split. Hmm. Um, so what year this, was that, or how old were you? Um, I finished year nine back in nineteen seventy nine. Is that when they split up? Or no, they split younger? up prior to that. Sorry, they split up when I was about fifteen. Yeah. 
because um, I met my partner today uh, at 15 before I turned 16. Yeah. I uh, was still together, but um, they sort of parted. So when I walked out of, um, when I left home, I was actually, I moved in with my boyfriend because of unsupervision. Yeah. Um, when mum and dad went either way and mm. due to unsupervision and then we just said led a easy life in coming and going so mm. therefore it led into unnecessary things mm. and meeting boyfriends and that mm. so um, at, a, at a young, I've had a baby a young age at 16 but I moved in with my partner we moved from Walgett to Lighton Ridge but the day that I actually took off to move out of my home was with my partner and mum and dad had just been on the grog that night. Um, she had made a promise a few nights before that she would never, ever drink uh, all our money again because we used to go without. Mm. You know, I'd go to school with no um, socks on and, and my brother would go to school with no shoes or socks on, but we'd go to school hungry. Mm. Um, They'd been domestic the night before, mm. but you don't say nothing because you're told to always shut your mouth and knowing that if we said something to the teachers, the welfare would come and then all of us kids would be split and taken away. And so you just sort of suffered, suffered in silence. Yeah. Um, but the day that I had walked out at a young age, um, four months pregnant, mum had broke her promise into not drinking all our money. And um, so I got cranky, go through the last bit of change because she wanted to go drinking more and we only had $20 left for bread. So I threw it at her and told her to stick her, the money up her ass and I'm out of this. So I walked off. Mm. Hardest day of my life. She's walking along behind me while, I, while I'm pregnant with my firstborn. Um, and Noel's walking beside me, telling me not to go. But while she's telling me not to go, I looked down at the bus window and saw all my other younger siblings, five younger siblings under me, all crying, saying, don't go, Patty, don't go. Um, but anyway, as the bus had driven away, I was in tears, and that memory lasts yeah. from that day to this. But in saying that, I always promised myself, because I did move out that day, that um, I would never live that lifestyle, yeah. which I think has got me to where I am today. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the like I said, that lifestyle was hard. Mum and Dad fought like cats and dogs. Um, you'd have to wake Mum up when Dad was coming home cranky. The dogs would give him a, a way to know that someone's come along. So we'd um, wake him, wake her up to say he's coming and, and verse that. We'd wake Dad up, Mum up to say Dad's coming. Mm. But anyway, um, very rough, very rough and tough life yeah. for the domestics. Um, mm. You know, you Kids are running and screaming and hiding um, and it was just an horrible situation. But saying that, I kept my promise in thinking I will never live that lifestyle yeah. for my own children in years to come if I ever had my own family. Mm. Um, I put a goal in place to achieve. As soon as I walked out that day with my unborn child, I looked at my belly and said, I will never live that lifestyle yeah. for you. Yeah. So anyway, um, and I never, I kept that promise. Um, did To did myself, you, I mean, I kept yeah, that yeah, promise. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah. I know us sitting here today is because you have kept that promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
So growing up like in primary school, did you know that that lifestyle um, that perhaps your parents were leading, that that wasn't right? Were you aware that it wasn't right as a little girl or, or that it wasn't good for you, I should say, or that it wasn't a stable environment? Did you know that? Um, I didn't know at the time. I, I sort of kind of knew at the time. Once we you started looking around and so, but we were warned, so you don't say nothing. No. Um, you just keep it to yourself. Yeah, and I guess um, well that the indigenous population is high, and I I guess that was a pro- a big problem with a lot of families. It was a big problem. There was ninety eight percent. The last reading I had of mm. unemployed. Aboriginals within that community. Mm. I've been gone now since I've left there years ago when I had my baby, but mm. I often go home to visit my mother. Yeah. Um, but I went, I'll just, I'll take a step back. I've, I've actually had my baby. I got a, I went that day I went on the bus. I moved to Lighten Ridge and we've got a caravan, Noel and I, so we had our little boy there by this time. Yeah. But we moved from there back out to Brewarana. We moved from there to Brewarana because Noel's father lived on a property and my husband's also, um, he's a farmer. Yeah. So he got the job on a property out there. Mm. We lived, you know, um, between Brewarana, 40 k's from Brewarana, 30 k's from Ningen, and then 80 k's coming back to Walgett, so it was sort of in the centre. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so when, when we moved, but we ended up coming back, so we sort of done the rounds, you know. Yeah. Walgett, Lighten Ridge, Bewarana. With a baby. With a baby. And, and I never but, but my baby, Kenneth. Yes. This is Kenneth was born then. I've never I was still angry with mum five years after, so I thought I never found a babysitter for him. <laughs> I would not let my child go with anyone for the first five years of his life knowing that I could not trust anyone. Yeah. And I just had that fear that this is my child, this is my responsibility. So the first five years I didn't even see him, I didn't take him back. Yeah. For them to see. But anyway, I end up growing up a bit more and a bit wiser. Yeah. Um, then yeah, well, you're very young. Yeah, very young. Yeah. So I had to grow up fast, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, but anyway. And did you work or was Noel just working? Noel was working at the time um, when we were out of Brewarana. And then when school came, the only reason why I moved back to town because Ken had started school. Okay. So we moved back to Walgett. Ah. By this time, so I got a job at the housing commission in Walgett then as my with my new family, Noel and Ken and I. Yeah. Got a little housing commission home and um, then I got a job working at the Oasis in Walgett. I used to work at the pub. I was supposed to be a bar lady. Yeah. Oh, it was wild. It was crazy. You'd at duck night. and dive. At, yeah, at yeah. night. So you'd duck and dive, you know, <laughs> because wind chairs and things yeah. started flying <laughs> at her and... And, you know, they'll hit first and ask questions later, you know. It yeah. was just, it was crazy. But it was wild, but it was an income. Yeah. So with that income, it was just, we just, it just put us in front yeah. of buying things and yeah, getting things. So idea. we're not buying a car. So then, therefore, good. then um, we thought, no, I don't live this lifestyle no more. Let's move. <laughs> so um, we packed up all our stuff and our child and we moved to um, Orange. Did you? Yeah. And I, you're only like 20 or 21, yeah, I think. By 21, I, I, saw it. I had um, Ken, and then two years after, in 82, I had David, which was my second son. Um, and then we then we moved back to town, but when we moved home, I had young Noel. Okay. So I got so three, three boys. Three boys. Yeah. And um, they were all, they were all um, beautiful kids. 
So we moved in Orange right up until my youngest, I think we spent seven years in Orange, and then we moved back to, like, no, then I moved from Orange to um, Narrabri. What took you to Orange? Um, Noel's mother lived in Orange. We thought we'd do a change and um, scenery, and then we wanted to say, well, why don't we move to Orange? Something different, mm. a bit bigger place, more opportunities in working. Mm. But not so much in working, but a career for our children because looking around our world at this time, at this time and at the ridge, and also we Warren, there was nothing, mm. and I wanted my kids to have a life. Mm. So we thought we'd pack up and go to a bigger place. Stayed in Orange for five years, and then um, cotton chipping started because we used to do cotton chipping. Mm. Um, we thought we'd bring the season back well, in Orange while well, we'd done the oranges and apples in Orange, picking, making money, still saving. Um, got a transfer to, sorry, I'll take that back. We'll come back up to Wee to do cotton chipping and look for in Narrabri. And, um, oh, it's lovely. I'm going to come back here and live. Yeah. So going back to Orange, packed up, put in the notice board, anyone wants to swap to move to Orange. Lucky enough, a family, the Termies wanted to move to Orange and we done our swap. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so which brought us back to Narra full time and my husband said then this is the closest to Walgut that I'm going, so if you want to go on, you can go on your own. Yeah. But <laughs> Narra was beautiful, loved it, fell in love with the place and, and then we um we, we bought. Ever since. Ever since. Yeah. Um, is Noel Aboriginal? Noel's Aboriginal. He's his um, mum's very dark, and um, he also has got a, a white father, not Indigenous father. Okay. So. And he has a strong work ethic, by the sounds like you. He's a workaholic. Yeah. He was a very bad workaholic. Um, Where does that come from? Did he did he have a similar <clears throat> upbringing to you? He he. Um, we just wanted to do so much. He, um, his father taught him everything, but he was just one of these kids that would just want to work and want to go all yeah. the time. Um, won't hardly ever hardly sat down, you know. Um, he just wanted to work, work, work. Yeah. And it's did you meet at high school in Walgett? Yeah, I met Noel um, going at Light and Ridge because his mother kept going to Light and Ridge. Oh, when she left Orange, she went to Light and Ridge. But anyway, we kept going back because it was only seven days from Walgett. And on the weekends, I'd go out to Light and Ridge with a friend, and then I would run in yeah. to him in meeting a friend. Yeah. Through a friend, sorry. And um, so, yeah. Wasn't it great that you could meet each other and you've been yeah. together all these years? All these years, years yeah. Um, we got married. We got married. Yeah. Yes, we got married. I'm yeah. sorry. We got married um, in Orange in 1986. So you had three boys Three by boys then. by then. And um, Did he propose? Um, I said, oh, well, he did the first time and I had got called away. Oh, we did. He did plan it, but he got sick and went to hospital. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> I went to hospital, I think, because something yeah. happened. Yeah. But anyway, um, he, he did propose, God love him. Yeah. And, and I said, yeah. But by this time, we had three boys at our wedding. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just wanted to make sure that we were right for one another. So, yeah. Yeah. And was it something you always wanted to do or were um, we you not got, really bothered by it? Oh, we didn't. We just lived together for six years yeah. and we never got around to doing it no. because we're just still basically kids still yeah. growing up. But then I think after six years we sort of worked each other out and, yeah. then, and I suppose that true love. Where were you together. married? We got married in Orange in, in our house. Um, so all the family had Andre at our wedding. Um, we just got the minister to come to our home and marry us. 
um, which was really nice. I had a girlfriend from Canandu come to be my bridesmaid that I met through a friend in Orange. And um, and Noel's, and dad, my dad came to my wedding and mum, even though they didn't talk, they were all at my wedding. Um, and Noel's mum and dad was at our wedding as well before um, his mum died. And, um, yeah, so it was just a lovely day and... Um, and I babysit everyone's kids. It's supposed to be our night, but we babysit everyone else's kids while they all went out. Mm. And um, but it was most enjoyable time. It was our time. Yeah, that's know, so nice. After six years of living together. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like thirty-four years. Thirty-four years ago. Yeah. yeah. Good on you, Patty. Um, and so when you were in your early twenties and raising your boys and moving around and everything, where did your culture sit with you at that point, or how did you feel about? Um, your indigenous part of you, and um, yeah, what what was? What um, was as for the like? culture, I was always proud of my culture. Um, Granny taught us all bits and pieces of the language before she had died. We were forbidden way back in those days to learn it full on um, because of the changes with the stolen generation. They wanted to get the inbreed of Aboriginal people, so they put black kids with white families, and they wanted to breed all the the blackness out of. Yeah. Everyone. But anyway, it wasn't the case. But before Granny died, Granny used to talk uh, a lot of lingo, a lot of language, and was telling me bits and pieces, you know, of all the wordings. And it was only, um, it was something that I always wanted to do. Um, but that wasn't meant, that wasn't the case because then, because it was forbidden, it was sort of, I was disadvantaged there for a while until I actually, um, Thought was always there, and the the, uh, the anger was always there. Um, but I think because of the work I was doing, a few jobs that I had, and the young family at the time, um, you just sort of put things on hold. Yeah. And it was only like the last what six or seven years when I come back. The last six or seven years, I really started getting back into the language side of things in doing a course. Mm. Um, I did do a course way back years ago when I was with. Um, Department Community Services, we've done a language course, which was really nice, and I uh, went to Sydney for that, but unfortunately there was people from Stone Generations in that class that wouldn't allow the class to go ahead, and it was all information I really wanted to learn. Mm. Um, but now I've enrolled in a class here with a teacher that's from Dubbo that travels across, mm. so I'm into my second year of learning language. Remind me of her name? Uh, young Beth. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, Elizabeth Wright yeah. was a girl that I went to school with too. She's actually gone out and studied for the last, well, she said six years. Yeah. She's done on the on the land, on country so. She's incredible. Isn't she's she? very incredible, mm. and the knowledge, knowledge that that woman has got mm. and learned by sitting down with the old people mm. and getting all that information was just mm. oh, it's just. And does unreal. she teach with another man from memory? Yeah, is isn't it? She she her partner's John. That's right. Yeah. I don't even think of John's last name, but they work as a team and now yeah. they've got their daughter involved. Good. Um, they're all employed at TAFE in Dubbo. Yeah. And um, so they're running with the language courses. And, and so what is the language? Um, Uralarai, Gumaroi, Uralarai language. Okay. Yeah, for our area. Yeah. So yeah. does that cover Dubbo too? No, Dubbo is different again. Oh, is it? They're, they're a gradual side. Right. Or a different no, type for that side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, she does this area, and I tell you what, is she's the information she learnt and actually studied to pass on, 
just made me cry when I got back. The first day I met her and she said, I'd like to teach you this, this and this. Oh, I was just overwhelmed. Mm. And now uh, this is my second year and um, and I'm, I haven't stopped mm. since. So the more I teach through song and dance and learn off her, the more I can leave for somebody else to mm. carry on What does culture. it mean to you? Can you explain to us what it what it feels like or, or what the experience is like growing up with a culture that you're not really allowed to identify with um, and then you've sort of been preoccupied with um, raising a young family and everything and now having the chance to be able to do this, what what does it mean? It means a lot to me. Just having, and like I say, the languages have only been asleep. It's now to awake. And mm-hmm. I mean, recapping everything now and learning again, I think we'll do really well because I think that we need to keep, it's one of the oldest living languages in the world, mm. you know. Um, it's been around forever and a day. Um, just because they were fitting, forbidden back then doesn't mean we can't bring it back to life now. Mm. Um, with all the teachers now that are willing to do that, it won't be a very long before it will be in all schools. Mm. Um, our, and it's just given our Aboriginal kids an opportunity to learn that but find their own identity. You know, this is, um, this is their land. Mm. You know, and knowing about the land and all of my, and the right words for the land, like, you know, Mother Earth is good in my, um, learning just the basic stuff and, and getting hungry enough to run forward to better that and put it all in sentences to take place and, and just teaching is it, just, oh, I'm just so hungry at the yeah. moment for that. Um, I find it's a lot easier to do it through song and dance. Yeah. Um, the CDs are really great at the moment. I've, I've, um, I've actually um, met some of the songwriters um, of wow. the songs that we do at school already. She's yeah. given me the words. She's given me the – she's actually sung it to me and given me the CDs to that, uh, which is a big help in, 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 in sharing that with all the young ones, mm. you know, of today. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's just so important for us to know our own culture because if you've got no identity, you don't know who you are. Mm. And, and if um, – and it's just to know where you're from yeah. is a big difference, you know. That river is life, they say, and it's true because a lot of our missions and a lot of people that lived on the missions lived on the rivers. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it is looking after Mother Earth and stuff, um, but there's a lot of changes that's happened. I, I listened to old grandpa before he died. He yeah. died at 101. Uh, my mum's, my grandmother's father, he yeah. died at 101 wow. and I spent his last birthday now he's he's a laugh Wait, dog. Was this at Walgett? At Walgett at the mission. He died at the yeah, mission at 101. So I spent his what last. What year do you remember? Oh, that was well, a young you girl. You were born. Because he's born. He's born. Yeah, he's born. So in the 60s, maybe. I was born in the. I was born in 64, but he died as I would have been. I still remember him about five or six years wow, of age. That's extraordinary. So, and today, isn't that's it? his voice on a lot of the books that we learned. Is it? Yeah. Through now, so those books. He's, he wrote those books. Same with Teddy Fields. What was his name, did you say? Arthur Dodd. Arthur Dodd. Yeah. So that's your mum's... That's my mum's father. Father's yeah, father. father. Yeah. Far out. So that's, that's, that's amazing. amazing. But mm. to sit down and listen to his recordings now, and, you know, a lot of people have actually think... started, studied a lot of those languages and put them on the CDs and discs and then now in the books, I tell you what, this just, mm. just makes you feel so proud. Mm. But you've got to be proud of the culture, mm. you know. And But it's given these young ones today the opportunity mm. to learn 
you know. I mean, if high schools can go to high school and learn Japanese and whatever, surely the price that they can come and teach Aboriginal language within our schools. And it's given those kids a choice then if they want to learn it, it's there and it's available. But if they don't want to learn it, then, you know, you can't make somebody do something that they don't want to do. Mm. But that option should always be there mm. to, on offer. Were you always aware or did you feel that you were missing something in your identity with not being um, 100% connected with your in the Indigenous side of you? That's a big, and you would, and I did, because, like I said, that should have been just naturally yes. allowed to yes. happen. But it not wasn't. taken away from us, but allowed to happen. Mm. Um, and it's just really sad because, I mean, even though it's a lot, it, it's a lot of hard work to get it back together. Yeah. But now you, if you've got the real committed people that want to put that back together that are so hungry like I am to run with, mm. I mean, it wouldn't take long for that to be up and running again. Mm. Well, they'd already, we're witnessing it before our eyes, just what you're doing at school. We can see how how quickly the children are um, interested and adapting and engaged with it all, and you're just one person doing that. So, Now, for them to be proud, and even the non-Indigenous kids who are doing the dances, you know, just representing our totems, our animal dance, you know, just the smile yeah. and um, on their face and just the happiness yeah. inside and giving them and, and the thank yous to say thank you for giving me that opportunity to be part of your dance. Yeah. You know, that that is really priceless yeah. in saying that. And just that decoration or that paint yeah. or that bit of material wrapped around their arms, you know, it, it's given represents. them, it represents, you know, the culture, yeah. our culture, but they're so proud to... Also, you know, display be it and it. be a part of yes. it. Yeah. What is the totem? For, uh, what is your totem? Well, I'm a dinner one, um, which is the emu yeah. for out at Walworth. Depends which little area you are. You've got the sand goanna and you've also got the gugo goanna, but it depends where you are. Yeah. Um, you can always be presented with an honorary totem mm. if you're not, if you're up this area from now. There. Yeah, from yeah. there as well. Um from elders and, yeah. and Aboriginal people. Did you always know you were the dinner one? Yeah, always known I was the dinner one. Because yeah. um, only because I've always known I was the dinner one and then that I have doubt thinking I was in this area. Just, no, you're not. You're still dinner. Just because you moved to Narrow, but it doesn't mean you've got to change. Yeah, so, yeah. there you but go. No. <laughs> um, now, going back to your children, you had three boys. Did you have any more children after that? Um, I did have another one after that. I had um, my last boy was born in 1990. Actually, my last boy was born in 1984. Um, Ten years after that, I had a, had a girl, um, a beautiful baby girl. Um, I named her Key Louise. Um, she was born in Narrabri at the Narrabri District Hospital up here in the old one. And... Um, and, and that year I built my new house, so I've actually, she was very lucky <laughs> and a blessing. So I actually um, took her from the hospital straight into my new home that we bought. Um, Kia, unfortunately, Kia had passed on me um, in 19, uh, 2016. Um, she got diagnosed with cancer. Um, it was dev very devastating. Um, it's taken me a very long time to... Get mm -hmm. back on my feet. Um, mm -hmm. I grieved for the first 12 months 
and I still grieve every day. But the first 12 months was the worst 12 months of my life. Mm. Was the worst 12 months, and um, that I couldn't had to come to terms that she was really gone. Mm. Um, she, I, I get cranky with the hospitals, and I'll and I'll say this: I get cranky. Yeah. But um, she got lymph. She actually started a new job. It was five years ago today that her partner Stephen, she had a partner before she died, because she died at the age of 22. Um, and a memory came up yesterday um, that her partner Stephen. She was uh, partner Stephen had um, on a, um decided to go wakeboarding on a day without her. He only had to wait two more hours, and anyway, it was the first day this young girl of mine started a job at the Shire Council. Anyway, so I goes up to see Key, and and um, I'm oh, sorry, Key's just left because her partner's been in an accident. Oh no. Anyway, um, I said, what do you mean? This guy's been um, helicopter. Out of the lake, he's been run over by a jet ski. He's on the ski, but fell off, and then another jet ski run over him. Right. Jet ski. So anyway, our um, memory come up yesterday. Yeah. Five years. But anyway, it was the first day of job, and uh, we we're off to Tamar. She cried all the way over all that night until we got there, and we saw him, and then she just still cried. As as um black eyes and broken limbs. Oh, yeah. she was just devastated. But anyway, um, he was just such a beautiful man and actually stuck by her through her sickness. Then yeah. we found out a bit later that she got um, cancer. But we started off with lymphedema. Her legs started to swell, and, to swell up and, um, and we couldn't wonder why it kept swelling up. So anyway, we um, took her to the doctors and then um, they've taken a lymph node out. Um, but after that, it kept swelling and kept swelling. And then, um, and then the belly started swelling, and then the body started swelling, and um, so we um, got to a specialist. They sent us to a specialist down in Newcastle. How old was she at this point? Kay, she had it for two years. So she was twenty. Yeah. She was twenty. So for two years, um, she suffered through sickness. Mm. Um, I, and I and I'm just sad that I was disadvantaged. No one I trusted in the profession. Mm. Um, in not knowing much about all this, all the all the um, sickness. Yeah. Um, she had the lymphedema, so we went and said they sent us to a specialist. So therefore, all of us sent away for a um a leg, a padded leg breather that we put around their legs, so that it just automatically comes to circulate yeah. the legs and stuff. Um. So we tried that for a while, but then when they um started to um. She started, they start, then she started losing iron. I was one that never ever, I should have asked questions. And I asked today that if any young mothers out there get sick children, always ask the reasons why, if it's only blood transfusion, whether it's just iron um, added to your body, whether it's, you know, anything, cuts and abrasions or broken limbs, what the cause of it, of, you know, always ask questions to why. Um, trusting in the profession, um, she kept swelling up for a good 12 months, year and a half. So was she undiagnosed? She was undiagnosed because the specialist we went to didn't know what it was for a long time. So we kept going for 12 months and they had no idea what it was. So we wasted 12 months there. Um, and the swelling weren't going away and and the fluids had to be going somewhere. So anyway, um, while we continued for them to work out what was wrong with her with the lymphedema? 
um, it actually, the fluids of that illness had gone up into her body and attacked the ovaries. Um, but anyway, uh, attacked the lungs first, sorry, I'll mm. take that back. Um, so therefore, then she got sick again, so, and I took her to the doctors and um, she said, I've got to go to Tamla, she said, because um, she couldn't breathe, right? She started mm. getting chesty coughs. For months and months, we're telling that she's trying to, she can't cough and that she's just so sick. So they kept giving us antibiotics, send us on antibiotics, send us on. And anyway, um, through that, this day, particular day, then they sent her for a, um, with the, like MRI, we've done blood, we've done MRI many times, we've had CAT scans that many times. Um, sent her off then because of her chest infection. Mm. They even locked us out of the hospital. We was over at their visit and then they thought that she caught tuberculosis coming back from a trip. Really? So we were all, they had isolated her. Yeah, so mm. we couldn't work out. And, um, was this all in Tamworth? So they drained her, then they find out they drained the lungs, right? Because she had a build up of fluid. Yeah. So anyway, we let that one go and then, then three weeks after, their lungs filled up again. So we went for a, a further mm. drainage. And not thinking, I'm trusting the profession, they know everything, you know, that's their profession. Um, what's causing this? This is where we never ask a lot of questions. What is causing this? So anyway, the second drain, and then the third drainage, we got flown to Newcastle. And that's when they finally worked out that she um, was diagnosed with cancer. On Mother's Day, which I hate Mother's Day. Mm. Um, what sort of cancer? Um, she had a, it was an incurable cancer, um, sarcinoma, sarcinoma, yeah, something like that. But um, anyway, but um, she had that, but it was incurable. We never asked when the when they done the last drainage, then they come back and give us the results and said that um, sorry, but your daughter has got cancer. Mm. We just. She just cried. I just cried for her. Anyway, um, Auntie Mane stayed out there and all the rest of the family's on the way because given that when she flies out, yeah, we all get together, which is we are very family orientated. Yeah. And um, so the Mother's Day come, Steve's mum come, and we're down at the um, we take her out for lunch outside in the gardens across from. So anyway, um, but that that was all right. So after that. Drainage, and we found out that she had that. We um come back. Um, we never worried about um um, and the and they said because she was so thin at this time, because one minute she was size eight, next minute she's size sixteen, next minute you know um, yeah. big up and down. Up and down. Mm. Um, we brought her back home. Never asked the time frames, but they said, uh, "Oh, sorry. Well, we got when they drained it last time. We gave us a diagnosis. We had to stay a full week and said we need to drain the lungs again. Um, therefore, while we're there, we come across the ovaries. We tried to save their heads so that she could have a baby team. The first thing she asked, yeah, Mum, will you carry my child? I said, of course I will. Yeah, um, you know my baby. If we save any eggs, will you carry my baby? But of course I will. You wouldn't think twice yeah, to yeah. do that." Um, anyway, I said, come on, sit down with the stick, but I've got a good oven. I'm a good mother. I'm yeah. a good oven. So but anyway, she had a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, so they've taken all that, and um, which was devastating with for her. With the ovaries? With the ovaries, yeah, because wow. all the fluid actually gone up from the lungs and, mm -hmm. and from the legs 
it all met up and the weakest part is Jodie's. Because our doctor actually told us that she's got a very, um, when we done the last scan, MRI scan, she had a little black dot on her ovaries. And because um, that was the weakest part and all the sickness is the easy way to target, mm. you know, that um, yeah. ovaries and then went through her body. Yeah. So anyway, but I got cranky with the doctors because I'm mm. saying, you're telling me my daughter's got cancer now and I said, when we go back for our check, I said, you could just see, see that cancer now, but all the time we've come here, you couldn't tell me that she had cancer. And I said, how does that work? They, they didn't say nothing. And I was really cranky because they could not give you an answer. Yeah. But by this time, um, she's been diagnosed with that and it's an incurable one. But we didn't ask the time frame because I thought if I asked the time frame while Kia's sitting in front of me, um, and if they said six months, she would have went downhill even quicker. Yeah. So we thought, no, nah, we just love her dearly. Go on to day to day, you know, routine roster, well, like she does. Go back to work and, and think positive. Think if they made a mistake, which you do, and, um, you know, and take it as it comes. But every day then she's, after that, she's, um, we're taking the ovaries and the day they um, took those, we said, see, and they took photos of it, took photos of the ovaries, take everything. I keep and kept those, mind you, shouldn't, but I do because yeah. that's just part of having my beautiful girl with me, mm. you know, and caring for, you know, in the mm. time that she was sick and all the above and I've never forgot. But, you know, pretty thick and thin as you do at, at marriage, you know, you take it as it comes. And anyway, but the last, um, the cake and the ovaries, we've come home and then just waited our time out. A um, lot of support we got through the... And, you know, the, the Cancer Council and uh, Chris Leapy's day, because the day I took her down, then knowing that she um, had cancer the, um, before we left hospital, they said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but sometimes with chemo, you're going to lose your hair. And um, and it's best that if you'd like the same colour hair, there's a good spot down in Newcastle and go and um, get wig, you know. Okay. But anyway, we get down there and we get into this beautiful salon where they take her for the privacy or, you know, for the cancer patients. And, yeah. um, and she tries on this wigs with her hair on. And um, and she's trying it and she just looks gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Anyway, when you come to the time, then um, um, she chose a beautiful wig and they said, and guess what? They said, um, there's an organisation down here called Sleepy's Day. And, um, and they are young kids with cancer. And, um, and I said... Really? And they said, yeah, well, there's another girl here that um, got ordered this week and she doesn't, didn't require it anymore. And, and, you know, they've already paid for it, you know, because wigs don't come cheap. They're no. five and six and seven hundred dollars, you yeah. know. And um, he said, here's a number here. Um, have it, I'll get, uh, would you like to ring him and see if you can have that one if you like that one? <laughs> anyway, we jump on the phone and, um, and ring Peter Slope. And um, we said, Peter, it's um, Patty from Narrow. I've just brought Kia down because we've just been diagnosed with cancer. And Did you know him at this point? No, we didn't. Never heard we of him. We never heard of sleep this day, right up till that day when yeah. I, we found him for that wig. Yeah. Anyway, in sleep his day, um, peace sleep. Yeah. But, oh, mate, he just made our day that day. And anyway, um, we ring Peter up and Pete said, you know, I said, Pete, we've got Kia in um um, she just, um, the boys just said that there's a wig that's been donated and um, but they didn't require it and, and you could have paid for it, do you mind if we keep it? By all means, we took a picture of Eon of the wig 
on and send to him. He said, just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. You ring me back, you get as many as you want and then and leave the bill there and I'll fix that up. And then evening when it gets to come to clean time, you send me the bill. Anyways, but I'll be in contact with you. And the following week, he's, he's rang up and, um, and said, I want to meet you. So we all gone down to Newcastle just to meet this man. And you know what, he's been our best friend ever since. And um, what... Explain what Sleepy's Day is and what does he, what did he do, Peter Sleep? Peter Sleep, um, they represent Sleepy Day. They put Sleepy's Day after Peter because he was diagnosed with cancer himself and because a lot of friends that helped him when he was down with throat cancer, they all fundraised for him to get him up, going and support him through that hard time. Um, Lucky that he recovered his throat cancer. Um, but because of that goodness of what the community supported him, he thought he'd do some for someone else. Yeah. So Sleepy's Days now all this function every year. Yeah, to charity. To charity yeah. and um, help other little kids. Okay. You know, with cancer. Overcome, or, yeah, or anyone overcome yes. cancer. Try and get yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, whatever way they need. Yeah. So um, anyway. Where is he from? He's at Newcastle. Okay. He works in Sydney. Um, and he's a footballer for South in Newcastle. Yeah. So um, South Leeds Club. But he's, um, the day, like I said, when we rang and he said, yes, she can have that beautiful wig, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, he made us part of his family. Yeah. So from that day on, then he said, now I've got to come and meet you. Yeah. So he, he paid our way down to Newcastle wow. and really? um, booked a motel for us so that he can actually come out to meet us. But, you know, when we got that wig, Going back to my Pia, um, we had to shave her hair there and then because it was starting to fall out this time. Um, we had to shave it and we mm. wasn't expecting to shave it there and then. Yeah. So I took a big deep breath and she took a deep breath and then you got the razor out and just shaved one side. Very touching, very emotional. Yeah. But like I said, that wig, after having that shave, just boosted her right up. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. But look, yeah. 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 And, but um, I did keep the ponytail. I treasure it and I smell it all the time. Do you? Yes, yeah. I know. It's, um, yeah. um, and Patty, I think um, living in Narrabri and Kia, what, did she have her treatment in Newcastle or Sydney? She, had, she started off in Newcastle and then we decided to join a, um, a trial program to try and beat it because they wanted to experiment, like still for trials. Yeah. So we thought we'd participate in one of those. Yeah. We had nothing to lose, none that it was incurable. Yeah. We thought we'll go on a trial. Give it your best shot. Give the best shot, you know. Um, we done that because chemo is not fun. No. Um, once you have chemo, she was down six days after, up for two and then back to chemo again. So you're very rarely spent quality time that's left with them when you're doing chemo. She did even um, say to her friend, um, young Donna Lamb, who died, was diagnosed with cancer too, and she said to Kia, she said, Kia, what do you reckon? I've got cancer. Do you reckon I should go to chemo, um, knowing that she weren't going to survive? She said, she gave her advice. She said, you're not going to survive. Just spend quality time with your kids. So Donna um, spent quality time with her kids two weeks after that she had passed. So what how lucky was that? Yeah. Because chemo is and makes you that sick, you're down, you can't move, you know. Um, and it, to see him struggle like that was really, really, mm-hmm. oh, it, you know, it just breaks your heart. 
and, and I know um, during that time, because we, we haven't spoken about um, the children that you have taken into your home since you've raised your own children, you've, you've then gone on to bring young kids into your home again from, from your own family and different families. So you had a house full of young kids while you were trying to get Kia yeah. down to Randwick and um, yeah. we, um, back and forth. Before Kia got sick, um, we were nominated to care for my first nieces, like three children. Um, by this time, my boys had moved out because they got jobs and moved on. Um, and Kia was the only one home. And um, we were nominated to care for three little children. Um, phone call from Sydney and said, um, been nominated. Do you want to take three kids on the 24th of December? Mm. Anyway, um, I said, of course, they're there for blood. And family, and I've been nominated. Yeah, why would why wouldn't I? Anyway, so Kay and I jump on a plane. They booked a flight for Kay and I, and I took Kay to Sydney, and we all that little baby in a, a in baby. my a baby that's only seven days old oh. in our arms, and and Kay looked at me. Oh. Kay looked at me, and she said, "Oh, mum," she said, "We're gonna take a mum. We cannot leave them here. We <laughs> no. have to take a mum and look after them." Gosh, um, how old was Kia? Kia would have Kia would have been no more than what ten, <laughs> I'd say around ten ish. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we got um, a flight back twenty fourth of December. They got us a flight down, a flight back to Narrabri um, with these three little kids. Um, Christmas Eve, mm. so a newborn, at a, that. New, a newborn at that, and two little boys. Mm. Like um, one one was one was four and, and one was turning five because he started school yeah. while he was five at yeah. home. But anyway, um, so we fly back to Christmas Eve, race around over Tamworth <laughs> and um, do some quick shopping really fast because um, you didn't want them to miss out. You can't have a Christmas tree with no presents for kids that, you know, yeah, yeah. at that time of year. Cool. So anyway, we started off with three boys. Sorry, the little girl and two boys. And what are their names? Um, we had, we had um, there was Jaden and Derek and Talia was the first three. Yeah. Um, so we... Um, had those for two years. We had those at the, while the department worked with the family and um, got them back on track. They was going to make orders. And I said, no, I work with the department. We tell them to do things with you to get you back on track. So the family, the department agreed for two years. And anyway, after two years, we looked at the escalation. Um, had, they were gone only a month. The next month, the department rings again oh. and says, um, you've been nominated to care for two kids, your niece and nephew. And this is when my Krista and Jamal come along. And um, I said, of course. Anyway, but it, um, by this time... And where were they from? They were from Sydney. Oh, okay. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So they come from Sydney and um, we we looked at each other around the table because it was going from six chairs, you know, to eight-seater was a big difference. Oh, four <laughs> to six to eight. <laughs> Our family kept growing, so we thought... Um, Anyway, well, and how was old it? were Krista and Jamal? Um, Jamal, one was one and one was going on. One was 10 months. Chris was oh. 10 months and one, Jamal oh. was going on two. I didn't one know they were Yeah, so we've um, read them. So yeah. Krista and, and my key were best friends, yeah. best sisters. You yeah. know, she, they just loved one another. Mm. And because we had all grown up, they just assumed that I was mum anyway, mm. which I still am his mum. Mm. And um, so that was our other two. And then um, two months after that, the other four come. <laughs> So anyway, um, so... And where did they come from? They came from Taree this last okay. year. And I've had them now from, God, the last 13 years. So yeah. I would have had them as well. 
And there's, today they're still with me. Robert's moved out. He's just turned 25. So he's moved out, but I've still got the other three. Mm. And Vincent every so often. So, mm. yeah. so how many kids have you got in your house at the moment? Um, I've actually got another one on care and four for short term. So we've got um, nine kids. Mm. And um, Noah and I. You obviously enjoy having them. Yeah, I enjoy that. But you know what? I Going back to Kieran, when I got the three after Jamal and Krista, um, they were only supposed to be short term, but now there's no long term placement, so I've had them for four years. Yeah. But even with that department, I could, I could thank the department because when Kia got sick, I could have given all those children up. So when I used to go to Sydney, Noel used to have all eight kids to himself because Kia, Stephen, and I would go off and, mm. and um, you know, while he'd leave him here. But um, he done really well, Marsden. Yeah. I think you've got to work as a team. Mm. Um, I'm gone and he's here. Mm. And it's a big responsibility to leave him with eight kids. But, um, and it's really sad. But, Stephen, we done, we, the department actually got to see all those kids before Kia had passed. They actually flown those children down to say their last goodbyes now and the that. last time we went to Sydney. Because Kia said, she said, Mum, I've got a funny feeling not coming back this time. Um, I said, here I am. Don't be stupid. Quick, we get down. Quick, we get on. Stephen's picking us up at 3.30 because he's stuck by her. Yeah. Through thick, through thin and through her sickness, which, you know, like he's a son to me and yeah. always will be my son. Yeah. <laughs> One of my sons. Yeah. You know, but um, he could have easily had gone knowing that she was sick and left, but he ran us. He said, be ready, Mama, at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and... We're going down, we're coming back, and he do take all his computer and all his work with us, you know, so and we sleep on the floor. We really struggle sleeping on the floor. But the we're hospital. all in the hospital. When she got sick, there was just too many of us. We had the A <laughs> we had the Aboriginal room, we had the waiting room, we had Kia's room. We just had bodies took everywhere. Over. Yeah. Took over, so yeah. yeah. But anyway. Um can you tell us about um when when she was really, really unwell in the end? Um when that call was put out to get um, Bo Ryan to come? Mm. Um, when Kia and I, the last trip when Kia said she wasn't going to come home, she actually knew she wasn't coming home. She accepted, actually, the um, possibility of dying, which is really sad because it was hard for me and Stephen. We just looked at you, cuddled one another and just cried. Anyway, but we had just left Kia about 11.30. I was really cranked with the hospital too because it makes me feel I've been let down here in a lot of medical ways with my daughter. Yeah. Um, we just left here. We just showered her and it was 11.30 when we left her and um, we went out to the motel. We got a motel this time because we always forever slept on the floor and um, the organisation paid for a motel. So we thought, oh, we'll leave your baby. We'll go and have a good sleep and we'll come back tomorrow. 11.30 we drove off. Midnight we got to the motel. Four o'clock, we got a phone call to say she's gone into the shop. Anyway, um, and whilst and I'm arguing with the doctors, what do you mean she's gone in the shop? Don't you fellas looking after her out there? I said, we just left her not long ago. Anyway, when we got there, we just jumped in the car, we shit in our eyes and drove off and um, and we got walked up into the hospital and, and we got all these doctors and nurses around and I'm seeing out to clear, you're right, you're right. Um, anyway, um, she was unresponsive at this time. And um, but she knew we were there because she, she squeezed the hand. Yeah. And anyway, um, the doctor said, um, um, we're going to take that emergency care. 
They took her down to the emergency department and um, we sat and waited. And because of her sickness, um, they said it wasn't, um, we couldn't put her back on a life support machine because she was too sick. And yeah. because she had gone through shock, yeah. she wouldn't have survived. So anyway, um, we sat around and called the family and only time my phone never picks up because we um, know we're taking all the kids to Christmas parties and change And um, my sons were, was at work and they all slept in. No one answered the phone. Oh. And by this time the doctor oh. said, you probably she's probably only going to last a couple of hours after this. Oh, Patty. So anyway, I'm ringing and Stephen's ringing and... Couldn't get on. Couldn't get anyone. And anyway, and I thought, I'll try my daughter-in-law who likes to sleep in all day because she never, she sleeps until 3 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and never answers up. And I thought, I'll just try and She just might be lucky and then what she does pick up. So she's gone around, woke everyone up and everyone's, oh, screaming. She's picked And then um, she went around to the house where the others were and said, um, that all the fun, they all slept because they had a late night in Christmas of showing off and talking to us because we all talk. Um, and they were showing us the photos of their Christmas party before Kia went to bed that night. Mm. So Where anyway, are they? Where is this house where they are? In which town? One was in Bogabri and one was in Narrabri. Right. In town. So with, a long with, way. With us. Yeah, yeah. 600 yeah, yeah. so, away. 600 away. Anyway, they said um, your daughter might be um, survives just in the next couple of hours. But anyway, and all me and Steve I could do was just cry. Yeah. And... Um, I said, well, if that's the case, then I said, I want to send home. If she's going to die, I said, I don't want to die. I want to take her home. Anyway, and because of the lungs, you couldn't take her home because yeah. it was easy. She wouldn't have survived the flight. No one that, because they kept draining their lungs, yeah. she weren't going to survive. So it was easy to stay there. And then um, all the family come from everywhere. There was about 30 in the room every time. So we had to rotate because there's 30, 60 of us. We had to rotate because the room and the, and the nurse is saying, God, that girl was so beautiful. She mm. said, you got no one. Um, a lot of these people come in and die and don't even get a visitor and yet we've got to make, you've got three rooms to occupy because we need to rotate because <laughs> we're out of town. It's, yeah. Nowhere to stay. No. So anyway, um, yeah, but anyway, um, it was just, it was just, oh, but just to have that support. But anyway, my sister, my son's ex-partner is Mahalia Dennis's sister. So anyway, and they knew she was sick because they kept bringing food out. So they knew that being in the city, coming from a country, you struggle not only in parking, but food-wise and clothes-wise and all the above. Yeah. And because it's Christmas time, everyone's busy at Christmas. Yeah. So Mahalia comes down and... and, and and his mother-in-law cooks all these big dishes of food up and feeds everyone, like big pots. They bring them all to the hospital to feed everyone that visited that stayed mm. for Kia mm. for the week. How um, great. Made sure they never went without. So yeah. now how, how lovely is that? But the, the times like that, people and real family do pull together. Yeah. So anyway, um, Mahali jumps on the phone and she said, because um, all Kia's wish was, one, to go to the zoo, and um, two to go ice skating, right, to see like snow. So I see snow. Snow we never got to because every time um, Peter sleep even paid $5,000 to give her a trip to, to the snow, but because she was sick from chemo, we could never go. Right. 
So anyway, um, the hospital actually then, to, with the zoo then, we, she, the hospital said, with the zoo, we can give her the wish and the zoo come to her. So she had that wish there wow. at the hospital for the, them to bring in all animals, animals to the zoo for Goodness her. me. Anyway, but as for Mahalia, she said, what do you want? She said, any wish you want? Um, she said, you know what? He's a down here struggling. I'm going to start a GoFund for you, you know, like to help everybody that was there and like the family. So she started a GoFund for Key because we were just living there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard. Oh, but anyway, she started the GoFund for her and she said, go. And you know what? I'm going to bring up, she said, anyone you like football wise? She said, Bo Ryan. So she jumps on the phone, ring Bo Ryan, and Bo Ryan never hesitated. He said, I'll be there in an hour. I'm just leaving the city. So, um, but I thought that was really nice. And then you know, just to see her face lit up, mm. you know, not just to see him there was just, again, crisis. Mm. And then when it's not sale come the next day and another one, and when Bo come back a week after to see him because she, those two hours, because no one wasn't there, Kia knew that she was going to go, but she held on until the whole family arrived. So she lasted actually a week after the two hours wow. of um, not surviving that she was given. Yeah. Until everyone come, but even Bro Ryan come back in a week and brought another footballer to see him. Yeah, so which was she, nice. Did she become conscious again after that initial yeah. that terrible after, night? Yeah, after the shock, yeah. um, she called septicemia at the hospital. She um she got that which took her downhill. The cancer didn't actually kill her. Uh, the cancer would have eventually killed her, mm. but because she got the sepsis within the hospital. Mm. And what pissed me off, they put the cancer on her death certificate because she didn't die from the cancer. It was a shock that she went and she caught sepsis because she just had another drainage yeah. on her lung and they kept a tube in her all over the long weekend. And that really oh, made wow. me cranky. So it was an easy way and the immune system would have been down. So yeah. either way. But yeah. yeah. But no, well, you can't um, see I guess she would have loved having all those people coming then. She, she did. She lasted. She stood up, stood up as if we were going to walk out of there. Did she? You know, she sat up and um and and loved seeing everyone and would rotate. Yeah. Because they're only small room. Yeah. They, you know, I think there was about fifteen every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I actually had a dream and it was my turn and, and I had this dream. I went in the key while everyone while my rotation was finished. I went and laid down. Anyway, just before Kia died. I actually, um, I went into the TV room, laid down and had a sleep. And in, I had a dream. I had a dream that all the trees, I was up on a mountain with Kia in the car, in my car up on the mountain, and I could hear all the zaps, 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 and um, all the trees. When I looked up, all the trees were falling. Every time it zapped, the trees were falling down, coming to me, and the wind was that strong. And I, um, I thought, oh, and I'm trying to shut the door. Because it's only me and Kia in the car on top of this big hill, trying to shut the door, and it didn't. Um, it wouldn't shut, and I thought, oh well, freak this! Not look at this glass is going to go in a minute. I am going to protect my child, and so I went to grab her and put her around. As soon as I grabbed her, woke up. I woke up out of the sleep, which frightened me. So I ran into Kia, and I said to Shirley, I said, "Everything all right?" I said, "It's a funny feeling. I had a bad dream about Kia. I'll go make coffee and I'll come back to you." Anyway, that was my signal, the sign, to say, wake up, Patty, because it's time for us to take her. Yeah. So that was really freaky, actually. So that, um, those zaps. And anyway, and and she's, you're right? Yeah, she's still there. She's still laying there. 
And anyway, and I got from here to the door, to, three steps away, and, um, and then Cheryl screamed. That got me up. That woke me up to say that they was going to come. But I actually said it to, that to a side. And she said, no, that was your sign to say, go and kiss and hug her goodbye because they were coming and nothing was going to stop it. Mm. She was going to go that day. Mm. And um, and that's what happened. Mm. So, yeah. But anyway, it's just, yeah. Um, <sighs> and I met, like, you brought, she was brought back to Narrabri her funeral was in um, sort of a big auditorium in Narrabri. I was there mm. with about a thousand other people. Do you know yeah, how many they, people there was? Were there? Um, they said there were about two thousand people at a service. Yeah. Um, beautiful service. Yeah. We had, we had police escort and yeah. Um, but the friends and and she's open. You know, the hearts took a liking to it because I think because she's just this loving, caring person. She just won a lot of people over. Yeah. And um. For but, your whole family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the community and with that like community support was mm. just unreal. Mm. You know, they offered the service and um they offered food, you know, for yeah. the after yeah. service and that, but just to have that many people support you. I mean, there's a lot of people I couldn't even get around to. Mm. But I mm. think I cried and you know what I didn't cry at her funeral, but I think I cried so much which led up to her being sick that I actually ran out of tears. Yeah. Because nothing worse than laying near your daughter in bed next to you on a breathing machine, mm-hmm. listening to that air going up and down. It's just too yeah. much. Too much. Yeah. But anyway, we treasured every moment and just love her to death. And yeah. I still love her and there's not a day go by that we don't think or dream of her. Or, or <laughs> and you've got... Um, You've got your amazing boat yep. dedicated to We've her. We've got our amazing boat dedicated. Um, my husband's uncle, George Williams, um, had painted our boat because he never had an opportunity to meet um, Kia because of their distance mm. in locations mm. and um, family conflict way back in the day. So he's made up now mm. for that in, in being sick himself but he thought he'd do Aboriginal art all around our boat and put Kia in that as a spirit mm. and tells Noel now that because he's only got 30% of his lungs, he's, he's going to meet her very soon. So mm. when he gets up, he's going to say good day to her straight away and give her that kiss and hug <laughs> yeah. that he should have always done way back in the day to, so that, to make up for all the lost time. Yeah. And I thought that's really nice. Um, um, I'm just remembering after Kia died, I think, you were nominated or won an Australia Day, a local Australia Day award. Yeah, that was a big shock. What I was actually, that for? Um, I won the Australian Day Award for Narrabri, a citizenship award. Okay. That's all once a year. Um, someone finally donated me of my for my good. Um, nominated you. Yeah, nominated me for yeah. my my caring of children and yeah. the things I've been doing for the community. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I wasn't here that day. I was out. Um, boating again. Yeah, because I don't um, think you thought. Yeah, we went in town. I never thought in no. a million years of winning something like that. Yeah. You know, it was um a very uh, a lovely opportunity to win that. But yeah. it goes to show that people have seen what I've been trying to do. Yeah. You know, for all they the others, it. and they've noticed something good about me. So, so I just thank whoever it was to do what that. What year was it? Um, that was actually two years ago now. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
So you and I know each other because we work at Narrabah Public School together. So you're the Aboriginal Education Officer there. You've been there for 13, 13 years, year, right? Over 13 years yeah. I've been at that school. Yes. Can you tell us what you love about it? Um, love the school. Um, I've been there for a long time for me to be still there. Mm. Um, I love the learning. I've learned heaps off those classes, off those kids, but then I teach heaps now in the things that I'm learning. So I think that's a one-way that's a two-way street. Mm. Um, I just hope when I retire that someone fulfills my position um, as much as and love my kids the way I did and I always will um, when they take over that new role. But, mm. um, yeah, so hopefully I'll come across someone really good that'll mm. find that, that'll fit that spot soon. And um, it's very obvious to a lot of our colleagues, I've had conversations with different um, teachers over the years how passionate you are about your culture and how positive you are about moving forward um, as, as a country together and, and making a positive change and and just trying to bring everyone together and, and move forward with what we've got and we all just love it and appreciate it and the children really love you and respect you and I think we're just so lucky that we've got you at school. Oh, that's nice. Yes, yeah. and I love being there with them too. Yeah, and you know what? They're not black kids, white kids. They're all my babies. Yeah, and that's how that's it should be. You call them too. And I yeah. call them that too. Yeah. yeah, and I know I'm not related to a lot of those who call me Auntie Patty, but the aunt comes out of respect mm. in elders within our community. And um, I'm getting at that age when they're turning into an elder. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're Auntie Patty. <laughs> um, now, Patty, just. Before we finish up, can you tell us what what you want to achieve um, moving forward? Of course, us just it's only a few years after losing your daughter, so it's very early days still. Um, you're learning a lot in your culture for the first time, so there's a lot of new things for you at the moment. What um, what do you want to achieve, and how are you how do you want to tackle the next little while with with things that are happening? Um, never give up. I'm one that set those goals to get what I've got today. My my original dream was when, as a child, in living through Archie, all I wanted was my own house and my own car and a, and a pool. Um, I achieved all the three goals, but that takes a lot of hard work and not giving up. Um, so anyone out there that wants to achieve a goal, um, who's suffering silence, keep that head held high. Um, never give up. Ask questions. Like I said, I never asked enough questions, which, you know, I, I could kick myself. But the things I didn't know, I still went on with. And, um, you know, if we make mistakes, we learn from mistakes. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, if we think we, um, if we don't, nobody pulls us up, then we think it's right. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just, um, but never give up. Follow your dream. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be somebody and hopefully one day when I'm in my wheelchair, you can come back and say, thank you, Patty, for that advice. Mm. You know, I've suffered in silence for many years too and never opened my mouth to say something. Mm. Say something. Ask any questions, you mm. know, but move forward. Mm. Um, like I said, with the mines and the coals that are here today but, um, and the gas, I mean, we're not going to go back living in our old ways. We've got to move forward together as a, as a community, as a whole to make a big difference in life. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, that's so true. Thank you, Patty, for all of your words of wisdom and sharing your story. 
you're very resilient, very passionate, and um, a huge asset to our community, and we all really value you. Oh, thank so you. thank you. Thank very you for much giving for me time. the time for um, allowing it to happen. And there's probably thousand things I could have said, but anyway. Yeah. Maybe another Maybe time. Maybe another time. <laughs> we'll come back. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Paddy. Oh, okay. If you enjoyed this episode with Paddy, if you learnt something or if you think somebody you know might like to listen to it, please share it with them. You can also give the podcast a rating or review on your app to help other people find Conversations for Ali easier. Thank you.